0: What got you there with Shonda uh, What got you there with Shonda What got you there with Shonda uh, What got you there with got you, got you?
1: What got you there? What got you there, there is all about learning from the journey experienced by some of the world's most interesting and successful people. Kamal Ravikan is one of those people. Kamal has trekked to one of the highest base camps in the Himalayas, meditated with the Tibetan monks in the Dalai Lama's monastery, earned his US Army infantry patch, worked with some of the best people in tech startups in Silicon Valley, and become a best-selling author. These experiences combined with almost dying a couple of months ago have shaped his mind into who he is today. His new book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, is a collection of thoughts on what he's learned, what worked, what didn't, where he succeeded, and most importantly, where he fails daily. This conversation dives into entrepreneurship, health and fitness, mindset, and so much more. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co., and they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great tasting convenience stack, do yourself a favor, head to mctco.com. And use code WGYT for 20% off your order. Kamal, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today?
0: <laughs> I'm actually really happy to be on here, as we, as we were talking about earlier. So thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, no, know. In an interesting journey the past few months for you, to say the least. How are you feeling overall right now? Um, well, look, as we were talking earlier, you know, two months ago,
0: literally, um, it was October 2nd. So today's December 1st. So, two months ago, I was basically dead on an operating table, you know, like an emergency surgery. After having a surgery 12 hours previous, But so there was a complication afterwards. And then recovering in a hospital and then recovering at home and basically rebuilding my body again. So given all that, I feel pretty damn good.
1: (laughs) If you didn't have enough life experience prior to that incident on October 2nd, you certainly do now. This is going to be a wide-ranging, fascinating conversation. So many things I want to discuss. But let's start at the beginning. I I know in the past you've talked about bookending your day. So I'm really intrigued about routines and how you begin your day and also how you culminate your day. Oh yeah, that's a concept that actually I came up with when I was building startups. Uh,
0: Because you know startups can become all encompassing. Like you're just you one moment you wake up, you're on email, or you're fighting fires. Till the moment you go to bed, you're you're on email. Especially if you're the founder, right? Uh, You you know you do everything from like wash the floors to make sales calls to hire people to what. No matter how big it gets, as a founder, you kind of like always stay that way, and that also leads to some of the unhealthiest. Things that founders fall into, and any entrepreneur, anyone who's ever worked hard at something, understands that. You've been it becomes an obsession. So I came up with this concept to myself of like, look, I was going to bookend the day because I'm a writer, so I love that concept. I, you know, love that metaphor anyway. Where the beginning, the very beginning of the day, and the very end of the day would be nothing about work, and it would be about actual improvement. Improvement in the sense, the first half hour, like the first half hour, then the last half hour of the day, no phone, no email, basically. Not consuming anything that would actually I uh, was related to what I was doing during the day. So it was either like you know morning would be more like, hey, I'm gonna go get up. I'm not gonna be an email. I'm gonna go work out or I'm gonna meditate. I'm gonna do something that's purely for myself, for my inner self. And at night, I would usually like I didn't allow myself TV or anything like that. Not that I watched TV much, TV. So I would actually read. And I would read not work-related stuff, but stuff that would actually improve me. So it was all like just by making myself better on the inside because it was all just reading and learning and also maybe meditating and thinking. Um, and so that became a concept I kept with myself. Anytime I'm doing any anything really hard that involves a lot of my time and my mind, I do that. And it works really, really well. Honestly, lately I haven't been that good at it because I'm just in kind of healing mode. My body's healing, my body's recovering, so I'm resting a lot anyway. Uh, in fact, I'm bookending too much and I'm looking forward to just getting more and more back in the game. Um, but yeah, that's a concept that's worked great for me when I shared with my team and it really helped them. It's very simple. First half hour, last half hour is yours
1: and it's for your mind yeah, and two, your and your spirit. Two things I love about that are the simplicity element and then also how it helps you stay in balance and in check. And I, I've done something similar in my life, and I just know it It sets me off on the right start for the day and then also culminates it. I'm really intrigued, though. You mentioned that this came about when you were working with startups. Was this out of necessity? Were you just grinding away too much?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, like, at least a burnout. Burnout can happen, you know, years down the road can happen. You know, it depends on the people. It depends on where you are, but... Yeah, it came out of because I would I was less effective because I was always on. And you think because you're always on you're more effective. It actually turns out when you take these breaks and just like feed your inner self, you're better. And you're actually like you wake up with better ideas. You come you're just better. So it came out of necessity because I was just driving myself too hard and and I'm a big believer in one thing I've always worked on, as we talked about earlier, is mindset and on just improving my insight. And this was like, okay, I need to focus on my insight in the very beginning of the day and the very end of the day. And the rest will take care of itself.
1: So, yeah, it did come out of necessity. You mentioned the mindset. And I'm thinking, when, when you're sitting down in the morning, how deliberate are you in your practice?
0: Very. Uh, the morning is like, morning for me is like relaxing, meditating maybe uh think, you know maybe thinking about the day and who I want one thing I've started doing recently is i in I sit there with my coffee and I meditate, and then I take a little time to think about who I want to be today, like the man I want to be today, and just kind of make a little mini commitment to myself to be that man, and then I just check in with myself during the day, am I being that man? if not, I kinda of like calibrate and do it's nothing hard and fast and fancy but it's just like a little simple like a little commitment i made my made to myself that morning um so i'm actually pretty uh,
1: meticulous about this and it makes my the rest of my day better i love that concept who i want to be today can you dive even deeper on that are you thinking of specific people you're trying to emulate or just your own self
0: no that's a great question um no it 's I mean look I, we all have heroes, but no it 's like the man I want to be like what kind of what like for example i 'll give you lately uh, my my priorities have been more you know about healing right and, and and getting back to my you know getting back to fighting shape and all that so it 's been more um, internal stuff like for for example uh, today it was as I was meditating and I was thinking about you know us doing this interview, and I was just thinking. Um, after my meditation, the man I want to be today, what do I want to focus inside, and I thought, today I want to be a man who focuses, who lives gratitude. Now, it sounds cliche, right? Gratitude, everyone says that, you know, like every, you, you, know, you, can buy, you can't hit Amazon without coming across like 500 million <laughs> gratitude journals, right? But I'm talking from a more of a visceral place. Look, I come from a place of being a doer, right? So I don't, I don't like talking from theory. After having almost died in a very painful, in a very messy way, I'll tell you, man, you start to feel some gratitude. Like you just do, but for like silliest things. And I don't want to lose that because it's a beautiful feeling. Like it's actually a feeling that I walk around and it feels really good to feel gratitude. So I don't want to lose that. But I've also learned, man, the mind is a freaking monkey. And if you leave it untamed, it's gonna go just run around and scream and throw bananas and everything. So what I so like it's based, so today was like, look, I gotta go back to actually making myself feel gratitude. And it's very simple. We manufacture our own feelings. So, like, I'll do something that I, you know, we'll get later on into the book. Um, But I take a practice from the book and I just apply it to this. For so, I'll just pause during the day at times, and I'll take like ten deep and uh, purposeful breaths. Breaths, and in the in breath, I'll just make myself feel gratitude. And for what? It doesn't matter. I could feel grateful wherever in the moment. I could feel grateful for the sake of feeling gratitude. I could just feel grateful because it feels good. And you know what I'm doing is I'm just layering that in. I'm becoming the man who feels gratitude. And you know what happens? You start to think from that place. You start to act from that place. It's very interesting. But If you just focus on the feelings, and, on creating those feelings within, within yourself, and it starts, starts to become a regular pattern, you start to become from that place. So, so it was very simple. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to be the man who's going to be the badass at the gym. I'm going to be, no, no, no. It's internal. Today was like, today I'm just going to be a man who feels gratitude. Mm-hmm
1: that simple the, yeah the mind's a powerful tool i'm really intrigued about this in terms of compound interest and and is mm-hmm. this something that you've discovered the more you do the easier it becomes and, and the more gratitude you feel throughout your life
0: yeah i i discovered this with the whenever with the love yourself practice um you know i that's another one that i learned out of desperation I, and i realized after a while they start to do these um almost like start to make yourself feel a certain way. And eventually those patterns, those loops start to run on their own. And when that happens, your mind just kicks in and just does more and more of it on its own. You know, you're just creating new mental groups, new neural pathways. You know, it's a literal, it's a physical thing. It's also an emotional thing. I mean, And the fact that the biochemistry, you know, your brain is actually creating, the, you know, you know, the classic thing, neurons that fire together, wire together. Well, the deeper and more strongly you do it, the stronger the groove and the more it's going to happen. So this actually is, compound interest is a great way to uh, put this because I do say like to tell people this compounds over time in ways you don't even understand. Like your thoughts start to come from this place, your actions start to come from this place, your life starts to come from this place. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that, that is really interesting. I feel like it's really hard for a lot of people to start implementing these things though. So if, if you're someone who's who's, tough with time and you're involved in a startup or another business and just taking a lot of hours are there any frameworks that you're able just to build in besides the morning and the night to to help you experience some of these things um well look fundamentally
0: uh, our mind's gonna think whatever it's gonna think it's on all day right and i'd say majority of the time it's not on in a useful way. Most of the patterns and loops we're running are not actually the ones that we wish we were running. You know, uh, you know, sit through a meeting sometime and then see how much of that time was actually spent focused on <laughs> the meeting, or just like daydream, right? Or daydreaming, or doing silly things, or like worrying, or whatever, right? So like, so it's not like we don't have the time. So it's actually putting in. So the framework, um, like the ten breaths, is a beautiful and simple me- mental framework. As long as you're around, you're going to be breathing. So all it is is taking, like, you know, um. Throughout the day, you know, like whenever I'm, you know, I catch myself lost in something or whatever and I have a moment, I'm gonna just take these deep and slow and purposeful breaths and make myself feel what I want to feel. And not do different things all throughout the day, but pick one thing. Um that's one thing I've learned. Like you wanna create like this these patterns and these pathways that get just deeper and deeper and deeper. So you do it over a period of time. And look, sitting in a meeting and but tuning out, you tune out anyway. And making yourself feel love for yourself, or feeling gratitude, or feeling joy, or feeling blessed, or whatever you want to feel, feeling happy, you can do that, and it's great. It's just good for you. Um, so, like, that's a very simple framework. But all of it actually comes from uh, something I fundamentally believe in, which is the power of commitment to the self. You know, like we can go through. We can decide to do all this, but look, I'm, if we're not used to it, especially with the mind, the mind is unruly. We've never really been taught to train the mind. It's not going to happen. We may do it for a day or half a day or a couple of days, but then we're going to fall off the wagon. So everything, I think, starts from commitment to the self. So I sit down and I actually make a commitment to myself about who, who I'm going to be. And I usually always do it from an internal place. Um, I mean, I've done it for external things like commitment and fitness, fit commitment and you know nutrition commitment in and building companies or relationships or whatever. But I I really am a big fan of internal commitments because it all starts from within. You know, you fix your inside, the outside works. So, um, so the the the, the biggest framework is actually making a commitment to yourself. So. I, what I usually do is I usually will come up with like one core commitment and I will write it down to myself and I will write it down to myself as a vow. And it's a vow I'll look at every day and just remind myself to bring myself back to my North Star for that vow. And you should do it like for like 30 days. And for those 30 days, I got to live this. You know, I won't live it 100%. I'll fail most of the time, but I will succeed more often than if I hadn't done this. And that will actually transform my inside, which will transform my life. And then I've recently started doing this daily vow, va- daily commitments to myself, which is just a subset of the original vow and just a reaffirming, you know, and then just checking in with myself. How am I doing, doing today? Or just remembering like later on, I'll be up at the, if I am at the gym, you know, I'll remember like, look, I'm committed today to like be a man of gratitude. So like in between sets, I'll probably be sitting there feeling gratitude for being at the gym, which I couldn't do for a while after surgery. Right. And I don't want to take that for granted. Um, so I think the commitment and then just look, like those little small practices throughout the day, create the mental framework.
1: Yeah. Kamal, something I I've really taken away from you over the years is how powerful what you do is and then how simple it is simple and effective. So you have the, these life changing type of questions you can bring up and, and practices, but they're so simple. So I love that you brought up fitness a few times. I, it's something I'm fascinated by. I would love to hear, I know it's right after everything you've experienced the past few months, but what does your fitness routine and nutrition routine currently look like?
0: Currently it's actually basically just, I'm just trying to be as, I'm as clean as I can be and give my body high nutrition. So I'll just eat like high quality proteins, like grass fed meats and, um, and, uh, you know, wild salmon. And, um, and then just I make myself like these badass Ronda Patrick style smoothies <laughs> with everything green you can find under the sun in, in a smoothie. So just give my body like dense nutrition because my body's healing and rebuilding itself. And so just giving it all the building blocks. It's very simple. Uh, barely do alcohol, um, you know, and um, it's just very focused. It's, it's uh, like my body's in rebuilding mode and just give it that. Like I have no carbs. Uh, I don't see the reason to have carbs right now, now especially when off carbs while recovering from surgery because I couldn't go to the gym. So why put on, actu- you know, actu- weight? I don't need to. So uh, for nutrition, it's very very simple, man. It's just like well well raised uh, meats, you know, that are nutrient nutrient dense, and and then just like organic uh, a lot of organic greens blended in a blend tag and just
1: drink them. That's my new. That's what I'm living on these days. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw the smoothie in the fridge. That thing was <laughs> that that was incredibly green right there. So I didn't know the nutrition's coming in there. What about in terms of actual fitness? In, in terms of strength training, any other exercise routines you're currently implementing?
0: Well, okay, so before a surgery, man, I was just doing heavy. Squats, heavy deadlifts, heavy uh, rows, and heavy benches, and heavy militaries, and between that, you you basically have a full body great workout that'll just serve you for life. Uh, after surgery, I couldn't work out for at least a month, and then they finally said, you know, you can go, because um, it was in, it was in the lower abdomen, so that's you know you that's your core, so you can't really screw around with that. And I, you know, so this time I actually listened, and because uh, normally otherwise I would get pretty impatient. And, um, and then they said, you can go back, but you're not allowed to lift anything more than a five pound dumbbell. Well, you know, you can do a lot with the five pound dumbbell, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I would just find a jam or a bench and, you know, like whatever I want to do, I would just grab five pound dumbbells and do them so slow, so controlled that you're just building a metabolic overload by the time you're done with like 15 reps, you're like done, Right. And just wait. I have a timer. I never wait. I like to wait, you know, time between for for this for like volume and low, uh, low weight. I would just do like a timer of forty five seconds to a minute, and then just do another set, another set, like three to four sets a piece. So now, then, you know, every week I would add like more than five, or like a f- few days, I add more pounds, more pounds. So now I'm no longer doing five pounds, but I'm still doing very light and very slow. You know, on the on the way up, on the way down, which itself is a particular kind of workout. You know, a lot of people um, actually say you should do. So it's one I never did because I like doing heavy. So it's making me do a different kind of workout, but it's working well. Like I'm building muscle. Um, I'm staying lean. Um, I do miss lifting heavy weight. I miss squatting. You know, uh, but I'll go back to that. But you know, that's a great thing. Like no matter what, you can get a great workout in. That's, you know, like I, you know, you want to get to metabolic overload in, in the muscle. And there's so many ways to do it. So currently mine is like just uh, low weight and high
1: volume. Kamal, something that's already so apparent to me is how adaptable you are. And in this conversation, I'm obviously hoping to learn a lot from you. I've already learned a lot throughout the years from you. But I want to know what your learning process is like. Because it seems like anytime something is thrown at you in life, you're able to figure out a new way. So when you're starting a new skill, acquiring a new skill, what is the overall framework you're working on to begin? I do have a mindset that whatever it is, I have a mindset
0: that every problem is solvable. Um, I don't know where that came from, but it's a mindset. And it's nothing that I, I, nothing that one needs to unlearn or learn, just, just, just decide that everything is solvable. If you realize everything is solvable, then you when you go at it, you will figure out the solution. Um, so I just look at like, okay, how do I solve this? How do I solve this? How do I solve this? And then I just go at it. and eventually if you f- you, f- you know you trial and error and you figure it out. I think that 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 belief that everything is solvable is responsible for that, honestly.
1: I was lucky enough when I was growing up, my mom instilled that in me. And and I'm really intrigued about what you were like when you were younger. And then correct me if I'm wrong, you were raised by a single mother, right? Correct. So what did she instill in you? I'm, I'm assuming a lot of these mindsets were evolved early. Honestly, no. Really? Honestly, no. I came from a pretty rough childhood, a very
0: rough childhood, actually. Um, and, uh, Mom was always working, you know, minimum wage jobs. She was gone all the time just trying to put food on the table, man. We were like low income poor. And so my brother and I were Lashkey kids. I just we just read all the time and we were just living in libraries cuz that was that was daycare. You know, mom would leave us in library to go to work um on um on days when we weren't in school. So I wasn't um Confident kid. I was actually very shy, very insecure. I said, no, honestly, I didn't. Uh, This all came later. One of the things that really helped was uh, honestly, like I went to college for a year. I had a a full scholarship and and I left and I joined the Army. And I was an infantry soldier in the US Army. And one thing that really, I think, was a defining thing in my life was boot camp at 18 in Fort Benning, Georgia, right? And here I am, a city boy who's never held, never even seen a gun or you not know, walking around with an M16 and learning learning that, where I'm like, I'm with guys who used to hunt for food, you know, which was a, such a foreign concept. And and just being thrown into that and every day being challenged. You know, at 18, that's a, that's a gift that I gave to myself because I did come out of that knowing that, look, I made it through that. Infantry boot camp is not the easiest boot camp the military's got. It's, in fact... I'd say it's the, as far as boot camps goes, it's known as the hardest boot camp that the army has. And I came out of that knowing, okay, I can handle this. I can get through this. You know, and I can I earned my my infantry blue cord, which is you get to wear in your class A uniform, which I remember when my drill sergeant pinned that to me, how proud I was, uh, that I'd that I'd earned that. How you earn it by <laughs> going through putting up with a lot of shit, you know, uh boot camp. So and that was like after 13 and a half weeks in full painting in the summer of in Georgia which I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um and so I think that's one of the things that helped and then after that it was doing things like um backpacking around the world with no with no money and not speaking the language of the countries I was in and realizing I could figure it out. You know, I could point and grunt and you know at things and 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 eat. I could sleep in ruined churches, and uh, or I could sleep in wheat fields, you know, and be okay. And um, and then start to learn the language. It was all experiential, but honestly, it was older. It wasn't a childhood thing. And that's actually, a, in some ways, it was a gift because it. I think uh, some people get stuck in the fact that look, I wasn't, you know, we get stuck in our old story. Look, like this is what you know. I, I, you could, see, I could get stuck in a victim story. Like, look, I came from this shit, that shit. Excuse my language, but there was a lot of shit. Um, and therefore, I must be this way. I don't believe that. I believe in like, look, I, because I came from it, I have to be better. Because I came from it, you know, I have a resolve now to actually be better because I know what that was like and that wasn't fun. And so, honestly, I think it's a, you know, uh, one can come in from different ways. You know, I'm glad you have yours from childhood. I honestly, I didn't, and I'm still adding on to it as an adult. You know, I'm sometimes comes across things in my life. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that comes from childhood. OK, let me uh, let me reframe that and turn this around
1: and be better. Well, I have a feeling this is going to be the most important takeaway of this conversation, the ability to control the outcomes and your mindset. And, and you have a quote that just really resonated with me. And I couldn't co- stop thinking about when you were just talking there. If it scares me, there is magic on the other side. And I think you've discovered the ability to challenge yourself and realize how much more fulfilling life can be on that other side. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, it's like so much of fear is just, um, I think most fear is just honestly a signal of what where to go, but we actually look at it as a signal where not to go. Uh, I think one of the best pieces of advice that someone ever gave me, uh, this is early on. Um, I was living in upstate New York and I was thinking about moving out of Silicon Valley, and um, the dot-com boom was having happening, but I had barely any money. And it was like, I would have used up all my money uh, to go there, not knowing, not being completely unqualified to work in a startup. And by back then, startups were a brand new thing, um, not knowing probably to get a job or whatever. And, but something we wanted to go, because I didn't want to stay in upstate New York. And I was just going back and forth, back and forth. And a friend of mine, we were at Gold's Gym, we were working out, and I was telling him this, and he goes, Kamal? Leap and the net will appear, hmm. and I was like, "Huh, okay." So <laughs> I think the next day I bought a one-way ticket, one-way ticket to California, and sold everything I had and moved out. And it did. Uh, but you know, it's almost like that—that that was a very important reminder that you don't—you don't first look and create a net and then leap into it. You got to leap first; the net appears afterwards. You know, and and one thing I learned in startups is. You don't. You leap first, and you build a plane on the way down. (laughs) You know, you don't build a plane first and jump, take it off the cliff. You're literally hammering and chiseling on the way down. That's just the way these things are, you know.
1: Yeah. Once again, your your ability to add simplicity to things. I love that leap. Oh, and it will appear. That's just fascinating to me in terms of just reframing your mindset. I'm really intrigued about that, and we could view that as an ability to take on risk. And I'm just intrigued about how you view risk these days and your willingness to incur it
0: you would have to define risk man um like would i want to go through another surgery after like the last, last two i went through you know that's a different kind of
1: risk so could you would you mind defining what you mean by risk yeah i would say risk to me is going into something with an unforeseen outcome that could have a negative outcome for you
0: okay i'll give you an example so when I wrote the first version of Love Yourself, Like Your Life Depends on It, right? I, you know, what most people don't know, though I talk about it more often now, is I've been writing books. I've been training myself to be a literary fiction writer for years and years and collecting rejection letters and just becoming a better and better writer. And then a company I was building um, uh, imploded and I lost everything I had uh, because I'd fund, self funded that company for a long time before I took money. And I kind of like fell apart with it. And then that the book came out of that experience because I wanted to write about how I changed my internal self, once again, mindset, to, uh, to actually change everything. And I, so I wrote this little book, mainly to shut up friends who were telling me to write it because I was sharing what happened with them. And I put it out, and I really thought I was going to destroy my career in Silicon Valley. Um, at this time, this, I published self-published in 2012, and... Um, no one was talking about this, especially in Silicon Valley. Man, like the Tech Crunch was big, and it was all articles about you know everyone. Everyone was killing it. Everyone was you know Rara and people weren't talking about failure and what you learn from it. And. Um, so I wrote that little book and I really like, I thought, okay, I'm going to be, I'm never going to be able to raise money in this town again, because here I am, you know, anyone if I were to um, you know, go start another company and, and just investors just to look online and see this book about this guy saying, well, I, I failed big, I lost everything, but look, look at me, I love myself now, you know, <laughs> hunky-dory, right? And, and but I took that risk. It was a big man, a big one, man. I really expected to have like, okay, I'm going to have to figure out something else to do. Like, and And that book took off. And that book went on to become like a self-publishing success. And you know, I would run into CEOs and VCs, like big ones, man, big name ones, who would actually tell me at parties that this book really helped them because it was honest, it was true, and it was practical, unlike most books in that genre. So it was a big, big risk that I took. Now, why did I take it? I took it because I had something true to share. I something I knew was real. And some, and I think sometimes, you know, when whatever you're doing in life, whether it's creating a business or, or you're like putting something out, if you know it's true, if you know it's real, you have to do it. You have to put it out. That's where the magic is. You yeah.
1: know, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please continue.
0: I think that's partially also what I mean by risk. Uh, I mean, sorry, like, you know, um, if it scares me, it's, I don't mean, uh, I don't mean every silly fear. I mean like the fundamentally true ones that we know like, look, this is something that's true that I got to share with the world. This is something important. You know, when we do that, magic happens. When we do it from a place of that. So that's one thing I've learned. If it's if I'm taking a risk that's coming from that place, it's got to be fine. You know, I'm doing that again with a newer version of the book. And I know it'll be fine because I know the mag- there'll be magic. I don't know what the magic, I can't. Predict what the magic will be, but I know there'll be magic.
1: How does self belief factor into all this?
0: Well, self belief is a big word, man. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Even if you don't believe in yourself, you just do it anyway, and then you learn to believe in yourself from the results. You know, like I think if we waited till we believed in ourselves or had full, you know conviction of ourselves to do things, we'd never do anything. You know, if I believed in my ability to be to be in great shape. Uh, before I went to started working out um, I never would have started working out. I remember the first time I worked out in college I went and threw up. I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? I was a skinny kid and like literally I went and threw up and I was I think I didn't go back to the gym for a month. You know? But I went back at it. Right? So like I, I think self belief belief matters less in doing things. It comes from doing things.
1: Huh. I, I feel like you know, you're, com- Yeah, I think you're hitting on an interesting thread here, almost like building up that that ability to work out. Is it about putting in those those little efforts that compound over time to get back to that compound interest we were talking about earlier?
0: Yeah. And, you know, picking things that are important to you. You know, I was um I was a skinny kid who was picked on. And so I just made a decision. I'm not gonna be a skinny kid who's gonna be picked out anymore. I'm going to be a guy that if someone looks at me, they're going to think twice about picking on me. It literally came from that, honestly. And you need some sort of motivation, right? We can't, we don't just go around and give ourselves our all to, you know, idly do things. But when you have some motivation, and it can be something that superficial as that. And then, and then it became I just wanted to look good, right? I noticed like I got more attention from women, you know, when I was in better shape, <laughs> and it became that. And then, until ultimately, it became my identity. Like, look, man. Like after surgery, like I'm lying around and all I'm doing is like watching uh, videos and working out and like learning how to do like low, uh, low weight, high volume training because if for me now it's it's who I am. Like I'm gonna, you know, live I live I live to my 90s and I'll be working out till the day before the day I die. I'll have gone to the gym that morning, you know, uh, but it comes, yeah. No, I, I don't know if that answers the question properly, but
1: no, I um, I don't know if there's going to be a right answer to that, but what you enough. were just talking about, you're going to be working out the, the day you die and you, you have a quote day by day. I'm working to be better. It's a lesson in humility and patience. And I think you understand the long-term game. And then also, like you mentioned, the first time you worked out, you ended up throwing up. You also mentioned how you embraced the challenge of becoming a writer and, and now you're a very prolific writer. What is your actual writing process like? I've, I've never talked to you about this. I would love hearing what it's like for you, how you, how you set that up.
0: That's a great question. It depends when, if I'm working on a book or not. If I'm not working on a book, like currently, I'm not. It's more like, um, it's more like idyllic writing. I'm writing as I feel. I'm morally write to myself, just notes and little word docs here and there, but ideas and concepts that I'm playing around with. When I'm working on a book, Here's my here's my technique actually I have a great technique and it works. Um, I use you know the Pomodoro method. Yes. So I use that, but what I do is I basically I'll have like a sheet of paper or a whiteboard or whatever, and every day I'll track how many Pomodoros I put in. And what what happens is I'll just like you know I'll put like a for every Pomodoro for every 25 minute sprint I'll put like one slash. And after four for the fifth one, you know, put a slash to the four, you know, the classic just, you see. um, So, so what that does is the next day I look at how many I did the day before. Naturally, I will want to do more. And so you'll see like every time I've done this, every time I'm working a book, you'll see after three, four days, all of a sudden the Pomodoro start to double and triple. And then it's almost like you're in a roll. Like, hey, I did 12 yesterday. I can't do four today. That's a failure. Even though when I started, I was doing two a day. Right. So. It's a little trick I use and it works really well. So every time I'm in a book sprint, I'm working on a draft or whatever, I, every day I'm just putting in, because you know, creativity, you don't force it. I don't force myself to write beyond where I'm just not feeling it. But I'll get, or I'll give myself like, look, I'm going to start off with like minimum of three pomodoros a day. And you know, that's, that's like, that's what? That's like a little over an hour, right? So I can do that. I can sit in front of a blank page for an hour and just hammer stuff out. It doesn't have to be good, you just have to hammer stuff out. And then next day I'll give myself 3 minimum, but I'll notice that just I'll just start to improve move and before I know it I'm doing 12, 15, 16, 18, 20 Pomodoros a day and then I'm just writing all day. And I'm in that groove and it works. It's very simple, but it's like I'm basically measuring I I have a system of like timed writing and then I'm measuring it and then I'm accountable to myself for a minimum, but I'm seeing that that look I'm just seeing that minimum increase and then there's something and you just pride just kicks in and I got to beat the day before. I got to beat the day before. Before you know it, what seemed like a stretch like a last week now is, a nor- is is normal. So you got to beat this new normal. And it just really works. <laughs> I was actually coming across these all the time in my notes app in my phone. I, all you see is just these slashes and I kind of laugh to myself. It's the same pattern each time.
1: It's it's so funny. You set the accountability and then you continually raise the bar. And, and I'm just sitting here thinking about ways in my own life where I can implement this strategy. I just want to make sure that the listeners are clear with the Pomodoro technique. You do 25 minutes on. What is your rest or downtime like before you start up again?
0: So basically, the Pomodoro method comes from um, a, a guy who basically, I, I think it's the best productivity method out there. Uh, because it's so simple, he took a kitchen timer that was shaped like a tomato, hence a pomodoro, and set for 25 minutes. And you do whatever your task is, right? It could be anything. It could be business. I do it. I do it for work sprints as well. But you focus on that task and you do nothing else but that task, right? So if your <laughs> pomodoro is for making sales calls, you only make sales calls and nothing else. You don't stop in the middle, check email. You don't do internet or anything. Just focus for that time, and then you take a five-minute uh, rest. And then you go back at it, and you go back at it, and you take a longer rest. What I do with writing is, once you're in a roll in writing, you don't want to stop. So I'll just continue. If I'm at the end of 25 minutes on a roll, I'll just continue on. But if I pass the 25 minutes and continue on, I can't stop until the end of that Pomodoro. Oh, interesting. So, so sometimes I'll go four, five, six, seven without stopping, right? Uh, But because once I'm in it, I I can't stop. Once I'm in that 25-minute sprint, the next 25-minute sprint, it's like kind of nice because it then keeps you pushing forward. And then eventually, at some point, I'm like, okay, I need a break. And then so at the end of that particular Pomodoro, I'll take like a 5, 10, 15-minute break depending on how, many, um, how long I've been going for. If I've been going for like an hour and a half, two hours, I'll take like a half-hour break.
1: I, I love the adaptability there. And, and you mentioned not wanting to force the creativity. And I, I love the whole creative mindset and discovering how to tap into that even more, are there certain things you've done that you just see your creative juices flowing even faster? Hmm. Uh, when I write in nature,
0: um, it, it just—I've uh, noticed my writing gets better faster. You know, usually if you haven't written for a while or if you're working on something for a while, your writing's a little kludgy in the beginning. And, but you know that you keep at it, and your brain gets more and more pliable, and then it just starts to flow. It's an integrated pursuit. If you don't do it every day, you start to get a little kludgy. But I don't do it as a regular practice every day. I do it more as once I'm working on a book. So, um, yeah, uh, you know. But it it really works, man. Uh, it's a very simple one. It can be. I've, I've used this in business a lot, actually, when I'm working and I don't feel like working on something. That's when I use it. You know, yeah because it kind of like <laughs> forces you into that that constraint you know
1: we're we're all gonna experience that in the business world and anything else you do in terms of a business context, I know you you brought up your time with startups anything with all the experience you have you'd recommend in what sense, just in terms of being able to go after something that's new unexpected you mentioned running a startup is like jumping out of an airplane and trying to assemble it on the way down so are there any just overall frameworks or or things you recommend to young entrepreneurs any frameworks you know um
0: that's a good question honestly there's no better framework than just jumping and doing it it sounds silly you know, but, you know, rather than preparing, 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 because I meet a lot of first-time entrepreneurs and they're too over-prepared and that's a sign, that's fear. You know, over-preparing is fear. Like they're not ready or they're doing this to spend like months working on their deck. I'm like, well, you? but you could have gotten on and gotten 10 customers by now and that's way more valuable than a deck, you know, for an investor. Or you could have literally built your product by now and just perfecting your deck and saying no, no, I need to raise X amount of million dollars for to build something that you literally can just use like open frameworks to build yourself. Um, I think over prepare over preparation is actually the death of creativity or building anything great. You know, you prepare just a bit, but then you jump and you just start. There's no substitute to doing. Um, you know, people want to build a. Especially like everyone, you know, people who say like, oh, I'm gonna build the biggest product, the best product ever, this, that, the biggest, best co- company. And but I need to raise this much money. I need to hire these people first. No, you don't. All the all the best ones, they just started doing it. And they sort of then that draws people to them. If they went out and raised money, they did it fast. They got the deck, they got the they got the they got the pitch down, like what they need to do, and they just raise enough to just start going and building. And when you have something that starts to work, people naturally come at you. You know, it's the ones who don't who are the one's chasing for money. Um, so right now, like there's a startup I'm helping with and literally like the guy, you know, I, I know people who are trying to raise like five times as much. But this guy, he's already like oversubscribed in a small round and he purposely did a small round because he just wants enough to just pay his team for the next six months so he can like get the product out the door because he knows when he gets the product out the door, it's going to do really well. It's going to bring a lot more money right it's better to be that way than then no i got to build this massive team or whatever and do all you know unless you're building like say a pharma company but that's a whole different thing let's talk about tech startups so i think to young entrepreneurs i would say you know be careful of over preparation that's fear you know there's nothing beats action you know you want to raise money you want to impress people you want to hire the right people you want to bring the right people to you show them you're a doer who's been doing stuff who's making results you know, who's getting sales, who's getting a product out there, who's getting customers, who's getting traction, you will literally, you will have no problems raising money or hiring people.
1: Yeah, I've got my my notebook next to me and about 20 minutes ago during our conversation in big letters, I just wrote doer exclamation point. And I love how you're, you just approach things with that doer mindset. And we have a mutual friend and, and a few acquaintances and I reached out to them for some questions and ideas and one of them just said that, You're his easy button when it comes to business and investing. So I'd like you to, (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) It was just whatever was going through your mind, the way you could assess, articulate, understand business and investing, whatever you were doing, he was in on. And I'm just intrigued. That's really nice. Yeah. really nice to hear. I think that's an incredible compliment. And so I'm asking for you to not be too humble and just put yourself in their shoes. And why do you think someone would say this about you? Um,
0: I have experience. I have a lot of experience, and I've experienced in a variety of things, which I bring to the table. You know, I'm not just someone who's been a tech guy. I've been a guy who's been in the military. I'm a guy who's who uh, worked in hospitals and clinical research, watching people die in front of him. i I'm a guy who's backpacked in, around the world. I'm a guy who's climbed Himalayas. I'm a guy who works himself to be better. I'm a guy who understands people, who works hard to understand people. And all of that, you know, it's one thing, we don't, to be great at anything or good at anything, we think we have to only do that thing, yes, but we bring our whole life experience to it. Um, so perhaps that's why, you know, I take my life experience and bring it all to this. But also, ultimately, in investing, I'll tell you, it I'll always look at it as a people game. What people do I want to back? It comes down to that. You know, often... Um, the the startup or the company you back is not the one that exits the change over time. It's the people. It's the founders. You know, they they actually said also the culture. And they also said, you just you just, you know, know that these are the kind of people you'll want to back and they'll figure it out. You know, you're betting on people. And I'm I actually um so I, my focus is always on people, and it, maybe that's why um, your friend thinks of the easy button. You know, I go for the simple stuff. I don't even look at, I don't look at financial models. I, you know, like when they send me I'm like please throw those away. You're a startup. Like you're not. This is not an MBA exercise. This, you know, no offense, but it's not an intellectual exercise. You're like in the in the you're in the trenches. I want to I want to see what you're doing. You know, uh, who you are, because if you can figure out the person in the trenches, that's all you need to to
1: invest. Yeah, no, the people and then the simplicity, and this is another friend, someone that's actually, you've worked with and helped them out, and they just love your simple but powerful question, and one of those that they just said could be the most important thing for them is the question, if you loved, or if you loved myself, what would I do, and I think when you truly start asking yourself that, it's just unbelievable the possibilities that that opens up.
0: Yeah, that came from all, actually. That's you know, that's in the original version, and the deeper version is in the newer version of the book. Um, you know, if I love myself, I actually do it. If I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? Right? It's a great question for making choices in the moment, and I and that it's the if part that makes it possible because look, no one loves themselves truly and deeply all the time. A lot of us have never, barely ever did it. You know, but if you ask for the Kush, if you start with an if, that just presupposes that it's possible that if okay let's hypothetically if I love myself what would I do and then from that position you make the choice it makes things pretty clear and easy then it's up to us to make the right choice or not but at least we're doing it consciously and we start because I think a lot of a lot of our time uh, choices are made unconsciously on just old habits and patterns what this does is cushions do a pattern interrupt and then they actually make us choose they're very, very powerful. This has been a great cushion. You know, like you can, one can use it
1: anything in their li- like anything in their life. I think that's one of the most powerful things uh, about the updated book. Love yourself, like your life depends on it, and it's just so essential in terms of reframing some of the important questions a lot of us deal with in life and so it's great it's almost this guidebook that we're able to use i'm I'm really intrigued though as you're preparing for the book to launch on january 7th everything you've experienced the past two months how is this time different for you
0: well i didn't really launch the book last time all of it was I put it out, I hid it underneath the table. man. I really didn't think it was going to sell. I really just thought, you know, it was going to be to, I was going to buy copies to give to people. And occasionally someone who needed it would find it, you know. Uh, I've never done a launch. And even now, I'm not really doing a launch. I'm doing podcasts, you know, like uh, because my energy, le- I'm, st- I'm not back to 100%. So my energy levels are limited. So there's no real like online offers or anything that authors normally do. I'm just more like, hey, let me reach out to good people who have an audience and let me share my work. Um, though it's, it's interesting cause, you know, I give everything to my books when I write, man, I don't hold anything back, you know, like literally I bleed on the page, but I, I do that for a reason. I do that because I know the impact that my words have on my readers. I've seen that, you know, I've seen that so many times. Um, so I give it everything and at this book, at this expanded version, I worked so hard on it for a year. I gave it everything and because I, I knew this book needed to be deeper based on all the interactions I've had with readers of the first version and need to go like way more practical, way more nuanced. And, and so, I, so I did it. I worked really hard on it. And, uh, and now I almost left the planet without experiencing it being out. I almost left the planet Exited the planet. I don't mean like going to Mars with Elon Musk. I meant like, you know, like <laughs> like every human being before me, right? Uh, that would have been a cooler version. Uh, it, you know, I almost left the planet without actually seeing it out and seeing the effects this version is going to have. And so, with this one coming out, I almost I feel, now I feel a responsibility. Like, look, I I know I've created something special. I know I've created the first version. Help. This one's going to really help. And, um. I feel a responsibility to just sharing it with the world. Really getting out in a way that that this book deserves. So um, that's actually different. I feel more. I feel more for responsibility to the book now. Now that I'm here, I'm still alive. I'm I'm kicking. I'm getting better. So like all my energy right now is just going to okay. Let me see who's got an audience that I can share this with, and just share this. This people don't have to buy the book. I mean, just go check it out. It's like not everybody has to love themselves, but this is ultimately a book about. Making yourself better from the inside and how one man does it That simple right, and I'm a fundamental belief uh, in that look we're all human beings if it works internally for one person, it will work internally for another person, just like meditation and all that you know like um, so the difference this time i 'm not really doing any book launches like there's no parties happening, there's no raras, it's just like me just going and sharing with uh, with audiences about about what I've learned in life and what's in the book and and just getting out to the world and and a strong sense of responsibility to this thing that somehow i got to be this this person who got to be in, the the creator of it
1: which which still blows my mind yeah no i did a, a terrible job wording that question but the way you no, you were, but you I, were able just, to articulate that that was <laughs> that that's that, that's saying. why you're the, the the guest on the show you were able to do this way better so i appreciate that's that and just sharing minded. yeah but no sharing no, the authenticity <laughs> One one other thing people are really interested in is they know that you really enjoy Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> I love <him>. He's <laughs> so the best. I would, I would the love Rock to hear more best. about this for a second.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's funny. If you go on Twitter, you'll see like, I only follow one guy and it's The Rock. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, man. Um, it's because for The Rock is, um, the dude's baller. And then when I say baller, it's like it's a model of excellence, right? This guy Works his ass off. Like he goes from industry into industry and owns it. And he works his ass off and he's kind. He talks about being kind. He's really good to his fans. You know, he loves his fans. He's got a great family life, you know, like, and he's happy and he's smiling. And he's got like, his workouts are off the charts. His workouts are legendary. You know, no matter where he goes, he has a gym that travels with him where he's got to get up every day at four in the morning, got to go work out for a couple hours. Like the guy has, um, You know, things that he believes in, he sticks to, you know, he talks about keeping his word, you know, he says, if I give my word, it's done. I'm a huge believer in that. You know, I'm a huge believer in the power of if you commit, you're in, that's it. You know, and, you know, it's a guy you can tell makes commitments to himself and keeps it. And that I think is fundamentally the role model for excellence. So I love that. I mean, he, you know, like, I'll, and he makes movies that are fun. Like, normally, like, look, man, I'm, I can be an intellectual and I, make, I, you know, like certain kind of movies, but like, I gotta admit, I really like the, I love Jumanji. I think I may watch it ten times, you know, but the rock, because it's just fun, and, and entertainment, and he's, he's, and he's like, he's very honest about. it. He's like, I make entertainment, I make you feel good, and, and it's just how he lives his life. And if you look at his story, you know, like. He wasn't always a success, man. Like he actually at one point went through a point where he lost everything and had seven bucks to his name, and literally seven dollars to his name. Or he he actually says six dollars something cents, but he said he rounded up. And when he went on to wrestling and you know end up becoming the one probably probably the biggest draw of all time. Um, And now in film, the biggest draw of all time, his production company is known is called seven bucks production. Never forgot where he came from. It reminds himself when his back was against the wall and he had nothing. Right. And he went out to to just commit and give it everything he had. So I think for me, like that's one of the reasons why I just love the hell out of that guy.
1: Yeah, there's probably few people as inspiring, doing such great work, bringing smiles to so many people's faces. So it was really fun to, to hear you talk about that. One other thing I really want to hit on quickly, you mentioned when you were younger, you basically lived in a library. How much are you reading now? And are there any books that you just go back to time and time again?
0: Right now, I'm taking a bit of a break from reading too much because I'm actually playing around my mind and I'm doodling and I'm writing thoughts down, which a book may come out of. So usually when I do that, I try to not be influenced by others. Um, um, I was actually reading writings from like uh, old mystics. Uh, mystics are like basically like the, the the crazy ones in every religion. You know, you've you know, the Kabbalah came from Jewish mysticism. You know, you have the Sufis from Islam. You have um, Christian mystics. You have Buddhists. You have Hindu mystics. They're the ones who actually came up with all the nature of reality stuff, the nature of the mind, and ultimately the nature of reality always came back to the nature of the mind. And so I was like, I was just reading all like mystical, mystical writings I've been finding on the web, just trying to see what the patterns is. What is it? But I, you know, I'm not someone who likes theory. I, you know, I want to see how can I make it practical? How can I make use it to make myself better? So I've just been doing a lot of exploration on that. Uh, But outside that I haven't um, read any books in a while. I may read uh, the Alchemist again, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And what's amazing is uh, Love Yourself, which is coming out on uh, January seventh, is published now by the same publisher of my favorite book of all time, you know, The Alchemist, which is such a beautiful thing to experience. Um, so, um, as far as that, you know, I'm listening to podcasts uh, again, and um, uh, but mainly just like old writings that n- probably no one's reading. All obscure stuff, just to like see what can I use this to make my mind better. And what's interesting is one thing keeps on coming up from all these guys, whether it was like five thousand years ago or someone a hundred years ago or whatever. It's like they all say like the whole thing's an illusion. They all come to the same conclusion, no matter where that they, whether in the Himalayas, you know, wearing monks' robes, or whether they're um, dancing, you know, Sufi dances in the Middle East, whatever. Um, they all say the whole thing's an illusion, and we just have to like. The mind is the one that has, is like, refused to break from it. But when you, as you start to, is when you get freedom. It's really interesting. The same thing, the same thing. It's like the whole matrix, holographic universe, the whole thing. The same thing keeps them coming up across the, that's the one pattern I'm seeing.
1: Well, I'm glad I asked that question then and, and, and got that answer. I, I don't know if there's a, a better place to end on it. I'm just thinking back on our conversation around simpl- simplicity, that you have to be a doer and just the embracing of of the different challenges because you never know what's on the other side. This is a conversation I enjoyed, and I'm so fortunate we were able to have it because of everything you've experienced the past few months. So Kamal, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. January 7th, love yourself like your life depends on it. Congratulations on the launch of the book. I I can't wait to have this conversation again and just talking about the success and all the people that this has impacted.
0: I would love it. Thank you. And look, for anyone listening, you know, I hope this has been of value to you. And I put a lot into this book, what I've learned in life, but all through the one theme of actually working on in my inner self. So I think, you know, I know you'll find it helpful. So I hope you check it out. It would mean a lot to me. I've, I've really given everything to this book. And I, uh, yeah, thank you all. And thank you for listening.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's apparent you've given it all and everything will be linked up in the show notes. Anywhere else you want them checking out, Kamal?
0: No, you can just find me online. Twitter's good. Instagram's good. Um, Amazon's good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Your favorite is good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks so much for joining us on What Got You There? My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through.